If you would, take out the Word of God and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. As you turn there, let me just say thank you for being here today. Uh, you are a testimony of God's grace in my life. I'm, it's amazing to see uh, what you will go through to get to church. One of our ministry plans uh, to equip you as disciples, followers of Christ, is to make it as hard as possible to get to church every Sunday. Uh, and yet you uh, are still here. Um, Clay asked me last night, he said, we will probably have really low attendance. And, and I was thinking, have we not learned anything yet? Uh, the harder it gets to be here, the more people uh, are here. But I do want to say this during these days, please be patient with us um, or not with me. You can be impatient with me, but uh, all the volunteers that uh, Eric listed, be, be very patient. Um, uh, just a word. Our numbers these days are kind of outpacing what we were ready for. Uh, we thought, you know, getting things going back again, we, we thought we would be at a certain level capacity at this point uh, with our kids ministry and all kinds of things. And so. Uh, we're just where we are right now. So be patient. We're getting this thing cranked back up. Um, but sometimes you go out to your car and it's been setting a while and the motor is just ready to go. It cranks right up. But you need a little air in the tires and things need to get balanced out and, and ready to go. And so that's kind of where we are. Be patient and then also plug in and serve. Uh, if you see uh, something that needs to be done around here. We are a church that's driven by volunteers and just do it. Somebody asked me, have y'all thought about plowing that lot? <laughs> just every morning at 3 a.m. <laughs> well, I got a lawnmower with a blade on it. Well, bring it up here. We'll try it and see if it works better than the heavy equipment that's been driving around out there. So, but plug in and serve plenty of opportunities to serve around here. And we're in a series called Equip where we're explaining what discipleship looks like at Ashland Church. And we've sought to define discipleship uh, as following Jesus, as witnesses in the local church, seeking to know Jesus according to his word. And it's his word that we apply our lives to in light of the gospel. And today we're going to talk about from Ephesians chapter four, how this happens in the life of the church. So often we think about discipleship happening somewhere else in other contexts. It has to happen in the church. Jesus has designed the church for discipleship, deep discipleship to happen in the church. And we're going to begin talking about that today. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to have a series, a three part series where we talk about exactly what that looks like in studying theology, studying the word of God and applying the gospel to our lives in the next three weeks. But Ephesians chapter four, beginning in verse 11, if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. As we gather together as the body of Christ. In these moments, Jesus equips us with his word. Hear his word. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is head into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Oh, God, I pray today that we would clearly, clearly understand what it means to be the body of Christ, what it means to be your church in the world, your witnesses, followers of Christ who who are giving our lives over, identifying with Christ, ready to live and die with Christ. God, help us to see clearly what it means to do that together. Remind us today that we're not alone. Remind us today that we can't be alone and follow Christ. And God, I pray we would be equipped with your word. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. May be seated. What do you think I should do? I was meeting with a young man who was about to move away. He had an opportunity to go to a college in a different town, actually two different towns. There were two different colleges, had options at both in different parts of the country. And both of those opportunities actually came with really good job offers. Same field of study, same career opportunities. Neither option was better than the other. Very similar places to live. And this young man was paralyzed by this decision. And he couldn't figure out what he was going to do. And he wanted to meet with me and and say, what do you think I should do? He continued to struggle with the question, what is God's will for my life right now? What, what, What do you think God wants me to do right now with my life? Where should I go? Where should I move? Where should I plant myself and pursue this career and study? And I immediately asked him this question, even without thinking about it. I said, well, where will you go to church? And he avoided the question and he looked at me as if, are you listening to me? As if I was distracted with his dilemma. Like, what does that have to do with this decision? And so I pressed again and I said, are there any good churches in that location, in either location? Is there a place where you will attend, where you will worship? And again, he said, I don't know yet. I I haven't looked into that. That hasn't been something I've thought about. I'm not sure. And the young man was assuming just because I was his pastor, you know, that's the kind of question pastors ask. You know, where are you going to go to church? And then we began talking. It was almost as if I brought the concept of church up almost Like this was going to be a mysterious way to figure out God's will. Where will you go to church? Oh, there's a church there. That's where I will move to. And it was this mysterious way of figuring out God's will in his life. Sort of evaluating the pros and cons. And for me, it was just really prodding at his heart. And I finally said, you know, that's probably why this decision is really difficult for you. Not because you've yet to look for a church. It's because that 
question isn't even in your mind, in your heart at this point. And so why are you moving? What, what is your reason to go to either of these cities to plant yourself for, there for the rest of your life? Is it just about you? Is the question, what is God's will for my life just about you? Or is it about the glory of Christ? Because Jesus has revealed his glory in the mission of the church. And that question should be first and foremost in our minds when we think about who we are. Now, I know when you're young and your future's ahead of you, that's the last thing that you want to think about is when I go to this school, when I get this job, where will I go to church? And a lot of times we just assume, surely there are churches in this area when I move here. Well, I have a list of people that have moved from here around the country who still haven't found a church over the last year that I will uh, give you their names and you can talk to them about how hard that is. We have missionaries who have lived around the world where there are places without churches. And they would tell you that should be the first question in your mind when you think about where you are moving. And one of the, the great things about our church is that is the first question so many people come to me and ask when they move to another place. Where should I go to church? Where, what do you recommend? Help me figure this out. And one of the great things about Ashland Church, we have people that move to Richmond just to come here. And so we have a culture where the church is the centerpiece of our lives. But today we have to ask the question, why is that? And when, as you as an individual, as you think about your life, maybe you are like this young man and, and God's will for your life is such a secret and a mystery because you ask it as an individual and it has nothing to do with others. It has nothing to do with God's plan for human history, which is his church. Think about this. You will be gathered together for eternity with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ serving Jesus together. And if that's what your eternity looks like, how can you make decisions and live in this life not thinking about your eternity with the church? That is, this is who God has created us to be. And we've talked about this as followers of Christ, as witnesses together. But why is it so important? And why is it so essential for discipleship? Whether we live here, whether we live in another city, whether we live around the world. Why is following Christ in the context of the local church essential? Notice verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians, Paul is unpacking really the theology of the church. That through faith in Christ, Jew and Gentile, they have everything in Christ. The, the church is described in the book of Ephesians as the fullness of him who fills all in all. Meaning Jesus cannot see himself and doesn't understand his plans for the world apart from the church. The church are those who were aliens apart from God. And yet Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and the power of the gospel has raised up this glorious people and seated them in the heavenly places in power and authority with Jesus Christ. And he has given us everything we need now and for eternity. And Paul describes how that works out now, how we are equipped with everything now in the church. Verse 11 he says, and he gave the apostles. Now, in context, Paul is describing Jesus 
who is this victorious warrior king. And he has gone to battle with sin and death. And he has defeated sin on the cross. And he has defeated death in the resurrection. And Jesus is this, this, this victorious warrior king who is coming back to his people. And a warrior king who has defeated the people's enemies. What does he do? He begins to divide the spoils of victory. He begins to bring back trophies from the enemy. He begins to bring back resources that he has taken from the lands that 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 he has uh, occupied, that he has defeated. And Jesus, back from the dead, brings gifts back to the church. And in context, they're spiritual gifts. There's ways in which they are ways in which you as a member of the church serve the church. Jesus has defeated sin and death so that you might serve the church. And he has given everyone gifts by the power of the spirit to serve the church. So when you serve the church, you are declaring Jesus is victorious. You are asserting power and authority over the forces of darkness who have been defeated when you serve the church. That's what Jesus has designed the church for, to display his glory, to display his victory. You display it when you serve the church. And in verse 11, he refers to specific Gifts that are given to the church so that the church might serve. First of all, he mentions apostles. These are men who, by the word of God, establish the church. We see that in the New Testament. They established the church in the gospel before we had the word of God completed. He mentions the prophets here. The prophets, they they told the future, but they also told the church in the context of the New Testament what the will of God was for the church. The scriptures were incomplete. And so the prophets would stand up and say, this is the will of God, empowered by the spirit of God. He mentions evangelists. Now, that's not the classical way we think about evangelists. This would be missionary. Those who plant the church in other places and then shepherds and teachers. And that's the same gift. Pastors who take the word of God. Now that we have the Bible, the completed canon of scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit, they have this word handed down from the apostles, the prophets that hand it to them that they may shepherd the church. But what we see in verse 11 is all of these gifts are word gifts. They're driven by the word of God. And it is the word of God that the church is equipped And discipleship cannot happen unless it first starts with the word of God, the word of God given to the church, which we see in verse 11. The word is given through these gifts to equip. The word equip means to supply, train, resource, prepare, outfit, not just for a specific task, but also for battle. Soldiers were equipped for battle. What we see at the end of Ephesians is the church is a warrior that is equipped for battle. And what do we see in that classic passage of the armor of God? The church is equipped for battle with the word of God. Notice the text continues to equip the saints. These are holy ones. Every Christian is a saint. And there are no saints on different levels when it comes to Christianity. The word saint means that we are set apart to Jesus Under the authority of Jesus. And this is all Christians. But the word equips saints. Notice for the work of ministry. That that phrase means the labor of service. Labor to the point of exhaustion to serve. 
And so we have the word of God that equips, equips the saints, the church to labor and serve. Notice why? For the building up of the body of Christ. That word means to strengthen, means to care for the body of Christ. So the church is equipped with the word of God to labor so that the church might grow, so that the church might be strong. Notice the body of Christ, such a powerful image of what the church is. We often just throw that out there. We are the body of Christ, referring to the body of Christ. As the body reminds us that we are one with Christ. We are connected to him in a way that there, that there is no other organization. There is no other group. There's nothing else that you will be a part of that is connected to Christ in this way. The body of Christ, the church. And notice verse 13. We take the word, we serve the church until we attain the unity of the faith. Now, this isn't just generic Fellowship, we like to be around one another. This is gospel fellowship, unity of the faith. This refers to the sharing together of the gospel. The word faith there, it actually is referring to the gospel message that's delivered to the church. And so we serve the church until we are bound together in the gospel message or so that we are bound together in the gospel message. And we do that. Notice, until we attain the unity of the faith. It's a process. Until we are bound together and until we have the knowledge of the Son of God. And so we serve in the church. We labor in the church so that the church is strengthened. And how is the church strengthened here? The gospel. Knowing Christ. And so when I think about what are my gifts in the church and how do I serve the church, whether it's shoveling snow or preaching a sermon. Ultimately, it's so that the church is strengthened in the gospel. I show up and I think about my responsibility and I want you to know the gospel more. I want us to be bound together in this gospel message. And notice text continues to mature manhood. This is where we're headed. Mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In the book of Ephesians, that word fullness refers to plans for the church. Completeness in Christ. And we know we will never be complete in Christ until we are with Christ. So how do we work to know Christ now? How do we work to be strengthened in Christ now? We do so in the context of the church working to know Christ and making sure others know Christ. We are equipped by the word to care for the church until the church is complete. The word, the Bible, equips us with the knowledge we need to follow Christ in the church. And this is where we get what we're describing our equipped discipleship. That we want to be equipped with the word to know Christ more according to his word in the context of the church where we apply that to our life in light of the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul is describing here. And so first of all, you have to believe as a Christian that it is the word of God that equips you with the knowledge you need to follow Jesus. It is the word of God. You will not be able to follow Jesus if you are not in his word. You will not have knowledge of God in general if you do not know Jesus in the word. 
The word is a story about Jesus. And the gospel in the word of God is the invitation for you to be a part of that story. And you will not know God apart from the gospel. You will not know God apart from the word about Jesus. We find in the word the invitation to be a part of Jesus' story. When you believe in Christ, his death is credited to you as a sufficient payment for your sin. When you believe in Christ, his righteous life is credited to you. You are declared as one who has always obeyed and never sinned before God. When you believe in Christ, the word of God unpacks that reality for us from beginning to end. What it looks like to be a part of that story by faith. When you believe in Christ, his consummated kingdom becomes your kingdom. And so you will not know how to follow Christ if you don't know the story of Christ. You will not know how to follow Christ unless you understand what it means to be in Christ. And so when we think about discipleship automatically, when we think about discipleship training, we think about discipleship classes, we think about D groups that we have, we think about all of those concepts of discipleship. They begin and end in the word of God with the word of God, who is Christ. And when we think about studying the word of God, if it is this glorious story and it's invitation to be a part of Christ's story in the context of his church, Bible study is not just about advice and principles for living. Now, I'm digging in the word of God to see Jesus's story and how my life fits in his story. I'm working to study the word of God so that I may understand how my life fits in his story till I can't see my life apart from his story. And that's what we're working at when we think about being equipped with the word in the context of the church, which is so vitally important here. Notice it is the word that is given to the church. When the Bible speaks about the word of God, studying the word of God, knowing the word of God, it does not it never does so apart from community. Think about the people of God in the Old Testament. They were the people of God before God, according to his word. It was the word of God that established them as a community. And so when we think about studying the word of God, we think about knowing God in his word. We see here it is to the purpose of the church. Notice in the context here, the word is given to the saints. The word is given for the body. The word is given for unity. You can't have unity by yourself. It doesn't work that way. No, the word is given to the church for the church. In this passage, we, we see very clearly why corporate worship is so essential. And what we're doing right now in this moment is so essential for the church. The church is coming together to be equipped in one moment. And when we do so, we are reminded we're not alone. This isn't individual Bible studies in a room full of people. This is the this is the church feasting on the word of God together. And it is so vitally important in the context. He continues to point to mature manhood. He continues to point to the fullness of Christ. He continues to point to this this moment when God's plan is totally complete. And think about this. When God's plan for the church is complete, what will we be doing? We will be before Christ living in his kingdom in serving Christ together, together, 
we will. And so when we come before the word of God as the community of God, we are coming before the spirit. We were coming before his authoritative word. The same thing we will be doing forever and ever in heaven. We will be before his authority. We will be before his power. We will be in his presence. And the church reminds ourselves of that when we come before his authoritative presence in his word. When we come before the word of God and to be equipped as the church, we are reminded we're not alone body parts. How awkward would it would it be just to have a foot connected to a head? That's not what the body of Christ looks like. It's not you and Jesus alone. You come in here as a foot or a nose hair or an eyelash and you look around and you say, thank Jesus, I'm not alone. And you're reminded of who you are in the context of the church hearing the word of God. We're also reminded of why we do that here. Notice we are equipped with the word of God to serve the body so that the body grows up strong. And so you are never hearing the word of God without thinking about the church. So as we think about discipleship, we think about Bible study, we think about all these things, studying theology, spiritual disciplines that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. None of that is for Bible trivia. Sometimes we engage in in discipleship because we just want to know more Bible facts. No, I never hear anything about God where, where I'm not trying to know God and then think about how does that affect the church? How does that affect the body that I am a part of? Discipleship, inherent to discipleship, is living in gospel community with other people. And so when, when, when someone, when, when you think about the church, I wonder, what exactly comes to your mind? Is it just sort of a cartoon image in your head? Like a, like a little steeple? Maybe a picture of your home church? The church is not a picture of a warehouse. A little country church with a steeple. The church, what is it? What does it look like in your mind? I wonder when you hear church, do you think about faces? Do you think about others? Do you think about prayer requests that you got this week on your group me? Do you think about deep struggles that are going on in the context of your church? And so the connection here is you can't hear the word of God without thinking about those faces, without thinking about those issues. And that's by God's design that you would hear the word of God and think immediately, who do I need to serve? Who do I need to strengthen in the body of Christ? And the more that we hear the word and the more that we serve, Paul talks about this unity of the faith that grows out of this. We are united around the word of God as we hear it and we serve together. I continually get a lot of emails about being a part of kingdom-minded movements and unity with people I don't know anything about. That's a big thing for people to talk about. Hey, you need to think beyond the walls of your church. And you need to think, you need to be kingdom minded and you need to think about unity. And I so often I read those words and I think, what does that even mean? How do you have unity with people you don't even know? How does that work? Because when I think about unity, 
I think about people in my life who have endured me being such a high-maintenance twit. And I'm amazed that they are still united to me in community. Because that's what community looks like. That's what community is. It's not just generic hashtag unity. What is it? No, it's faces. It's people that you have a responsibility to in light of the word of God to serve and make sure they understand the gospel. And that is everything that Paul is unpacking in the book of Ephesians. And so when we think about maturity and we think about discipleship, we can't think about the church. But but again, notice the text over and over. He uses the word mature, full stature. And we think about growing in Christ. We think about discipleship. So often we think about different levels of discipleship. Well, I started out on level one and I read this book and I did this and now I'm up to level two and I do this now and I'm up to level three. When I get to level four, then I'm leading other people and doing the same process. And we think about all these different levels of discipleship. When Paul talks about maturity here, it's real simple. Maturity in the church is unity in light of the gospel. And you see, Jews and Gentiles did not want to live together in light of the gospel. Now, the Gentiles were the Johnny-come-latelys to the community of God. And there was division in the context of the church. There was strife in the context of the church. All of a sudden, you had uh, people showing up to BFG and they were bringing bacon. And if you were a kosher Jew, you were like, what in the world is going on? And you would refer them to the Jewish BFG. That's where you need to go next week. We don't do that over here. And there was tension and strife in the context of the church. And so Paul is describing a maturity here that we see leads to unity. When you begin to see the church as the body of Christ and you begin to serve one another no matter what. No matter Jew or Gentile. Following Christ and maturing in discipleship isn't leveling up. It's loving people who aren't like you. You want to know if you're following Christ according to his word. You want to know if you are following Christ according to the gospel. Are you loving people in the context of the church that you otherwise would not? Because you can have a lot of book knowledge and you can level up so many times and still be a jerk. And only level up with the people who look and act like you. Now, in the context of the church, it's Jew and Gentile. And it's you looking as you hear the word of God and you hear in the gospel, I am righteous before God. You immediately begin to think as you delight in the righteousness of Christ, who in the church needs to know that they are righteous in Christ? Someone who otherwise you would condemn them for their past. And you think about who they were before they came to Christ. And in your mind, you wouldn't say it out loud, but you hold that against them. When you hear the gospel in the church and you hear of the imputed righteousness of Christ and you hear of forgiveness of sin on the cross, you immediately think of that person and you run to them and you serve them and you say, you are accepted. Why are you doing these things for me? You know, we just had a conflict and I was gossiping about your kids. Why did you ask to keep my kids? Oh, is it just so you can make them like your kids? Because that ain't happening. No. 
No, it's because I want to serve you with grace and mercy. And I want you to taste and I want you to understand forgiveness. And you begin to serve other people who otherwise you would shun and you would have nothing to do with. That's what maturity in the context of the church looks like. A mature church is unified in the gospel. We are enduring one another. We are patient with one another's politics. We endure and we love those who we look across the aisle and say, they're just lazy. I wish they would get their life together. They live so clumsily and we endure them in the context of the church. If you are hearing the word of God, this is what you are to do. You are to be equipped with the gospel in the church. And notice the result of this, verse 14. As we do this together, he says, so that we may no longer be children Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Here, Paul again points to the issue of maturity. We hear the word of God. We grow in the gospel so that we would be strong in the gospel, so that we would be mature in the gospel. He refers to children here. Children are driven by the immediate now desire i'm hungry now feed me my diaper needs changing now i get a little older i have the toys mine they're driven by those desires because they believe what they want in the moment is true i'm the center of the universe so I need to be fed now and everything is mine and the world revolves around them. Maturity is moving away from that and you realize the world's a bigger place and you realize you're happier when you have self-control and you serve others. But, but the point of loving and serving one another and experiencing the gospel in the church is that we grow out of those desires. We grow out of the selfishness. And, and one reason immature Christians here, childish Christians, are, are driven by, he says here, they are tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. An immature Christian is still dealing with the mind now desires. And so you have a new doctrine, a new way of teaching that comes in and it says the world revolves around you and what's true is what you want. And they believe that. For a time. And then there's a new wave or wind of doctrine that says, no, the world revolves around you in this way. So then they believe that. And they're constantly chasing what is true according to their mind now desires. Well, the church teaches you according to the world that the world revolves around Jesus. And the world is about Jesus' glory. And the way you display Jesus' glory is you serve others. And you understand that and you experience that in the context of the church. And so you wean yourself off of these desires. And you're not driven here and there by every thing, kind of thing that teaches you it's about you. This is why when we think about discipleship at Ashland, we can't be a daycare for immature Christians. Or Christianity. There are going to be immature Christians here, but we can't prop that up because it's not good for you. You will believe any and everything if we become a daycare for immature Christianity. You see, 
you take your kids to daycare when you go to work and you're providing for your family. And some of you have these really highfalutin daycares that you go to. So I'm not talking about those. But the kind of daycare where you say, hey, just take care of them until I get back. Right. Just make sure they are still breathing. They have all their fingers and toes. Just just take care of them. Now, some of you are more highfalutin than that. And I get it. I'm not talking about your daycare. Some of the redneck daycares that I used to go to. But but they're not the, the the babysitter isn't given the task to raise and prepare your kids for life. It's just to make them happy until you get back. And so a lot of times there's no discipline. It's whatever you want until mommy and daddy get back. And that's why kids love going with the babysitter. They love when a babysitter comes over. It's fun time. And a lot of churches have that philosophy of ministry. And they prop up immature Christianity. Because for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, it's just make you happy so you'll come back next week. Make you feel good for an hour and a half. And so what happens? That's why there's so much flightiness in Christianity these days. That's why you see so many Christians bouncing from church to church. You see so many Christians bouncing from the latest fad to the next fad to the next thing that I think is going to make me happy. That's going to provide for all. You see a flightiness among Christians when it comes to your commitment to the church. We can't prop that up. We have to be more than babysitters that just endure immature Christianity for an hour and a half. In our culture, we have what's called therapeutic deism. If you looked at this passage and you said, okay, what's a wind? What's a, What's the latest doctrine of the day? Probably the one thing that undergirds everything that everybody's believing this day, we would say therapeutic deism. Not many people are rejecting. We still have some of this, the idea of God. And many people are just saying, okay, there is a God. But he exists just for me. He exists to make me happy. And in the context of the church, there's this idea in so many places that Jesus exists for you and all you want, whatever you want, whatever makes you happy, that's true. And so that's why you see Christians who are engaged in sexual immorality and they have no idea why it's wrong. They have been swept into therapeutic deism because this relationship makes me happy. And Jesus's job is to make me happy. He must be OK with what I'm doing. And so they bounce from relationship to relationship. They bounce from job to job. They bounce from hobby to hobby. They bounce from every latest gadget that comes out to the next gadget from career to career. But why? Because they believe in a God who exists to make them happy. And he gave me something that didn't make me happy. So give me something else. Give me something else. Give me something else. And that's the way so many churches are designed. To prop that immaturity up. And yet we must be a church that is rooted deeply in the gospel. That takes the word of God. And we want to be latched and maturing in the word of God. So that we are steady. And we're not driven by those desires. We need to be a church that says the word of God says you exist for Jesus. Not him for you. And what he says is true. And so the guy that comes in. 
And he's tried everything. Mormonism. Eastern mysticism. He hears authoritative preaching. He hears a people that believe that the, this is the word of God, the inerrant word of God. We believe it with all our heart. And he doesn't bounce because he's rooted. He's anchored. A single mom whose life has not gone as planned and she continues to bounce from relationship to relationship, trying something else that's going to make her happy. She needs to be latched in the gospel. And where does it happen? It happens in the context of a BFG that says, no, there's a bigger story. And there's no person or thing that's going to make you happy. No, only Jesus will. Let's see our life in light of his story. Let's apply it to our life. Let's live it out. The wife who's discontent, constantly scrolling through Facebook, seeing old friends and wondering what life would be like with a different person and ready to bounce. No, she needs a group of women who have walked with her in life and who are fighting for holiness in light of the gospel who love her, are gracious and kind with her, who are patient with her, who will look her in the eyes and say, when is the last time you put the screen down and read the Word of God? We can't prop up and babysit immature Christianity or we will be flighty and we will be bouncing, not just for the next fad, but the next sin. And we learn this in the context of the church. That's why we press the Word of God. That's why we press the Gospel. We want to know Christ according to His Word and we want to grow up into Christ together. And at times in the context of the church, we are. We're we're like that family you see at the beach. And, And the wind and the waves are knocking the kid around. And yet there's two parents there holding them. And yeah, they're getting smashed by the wind and waves. But but they ain't going to let him go. And sometimes that's what it looks like in the context of the church. I'm ready to let go and believe something better. And the church is holding on and saying, no, you can't. You ain't going nowhere. We got you. The gospel is better than what you're chasing. Let's believe the gospel together. Let's grow together. And so verse 15, he says this, rather... Rather than believing whatever comes along, we speak the truth in love, the gospel truth in love. We sacrifice through love. Now, a lot of times this is referred to rebuking someone in sin. This is just the context of the church. And it does refer back to the the speaking or preaching or overseeing gifts. They come to the church. To, to push out false doctrine, to, to stop the wind and waves that may push us around. No, we speak the truth in love. We believe the truth and we grow in love. Notice he says we grow in every way into him who is the head. And so we hear the word of God. We apply the word of God. And when we do, we are growing up into the authoritative Christ who is speaking to us. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every part with which is it equipped. Notice, equipped. What are we equipped with? The Word of God. And we are growing together in the Gospel through the Word of God into Christ, listening to Him. And notice what happens. Each part works properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we speak love, then we live out love, and we become a community of love. 
That, that's what it looks like to be a church that is growing, a church that is serving. It is a church that is loving. It is the word of God is the acts of love. And it is love that builds the church up. We love him by serving his body in love. See, weak Christians are driven by the now mind desire. Mature Christians are driven by the desire to love. That's what it looks like to mature. So we see at the end, discipleship is church centered, but it's culminated in love for the church. Notice the whole imagery of the body here. The, 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 we are connected to the head and we are given word from the head to do what? Care for the church in love. To take care of the church in love. What is the head telling us to do? Love the church. Love the body. So you can't follow Christ. You can't be connected to Him and not love the church. Your hands, your arms, your shoulders, your, your neck is built into a head with a brain that is constantly telling you, take care of your body. Do what it takes to function properly. And some of us listen to that. Some of us don't. But, but your head, the nerves, they're all telling you, take care of the body. And if you're connected to Christ, that's what he's telling you. You, you don't have to ask the question, what is God's will for my life today? Well, it, it is to love the church. All that other stuff will, will fall out. All that stuff you'll be able to, to figure out. It's to love the church. Jesus loves the church. And when you follow him, you will naturally love the church. He's personally equipped us to love the church. Sometimes even when we think about spiritual gifts, we're trying to figure out what is my spiritual gift? I really like this. I really like this. I, I want to do this. And we think about all of those things and we get we wade down into the weeds of the spiritual gift inventory. Well, in first Corinthians, when Paul talks about gifts. He ends up saying, but if you don't have love. All those gifts are useless. And so when, I, when people say, how do I serve the church? I say, just love the church and dive in. And then all those things will take care of themselves. You'll figure out what that looks like. Paul says our gifts are not our platform, but our cross. And we take up our cross and we follow Jesus and we give ourselves for the church the same way Jesus gave himself for the church. And so maturity and discipleship, we think about growing in the word of God, growing in prayer, applying the spiritual disciplines to my life. What does it look like? Loving the church. Do you love the church any more today than you did when you began following Christ? Well, are you really following Christ? Because that's where he's going to lead us. You see, I know a lot of really smart Christians. And they can conjugate all the forms of agape. But they're really jerks to the ecclesia. And I know people here who have no idea what I just said. But they really, really love the church. And they really, really love the gospel in the church. And that's what discipleship looks like. Discipleship, as we begin this process, it's not a stack of quarterlies. It's not a stack of your highlighted precept books lined up on your shelf like a trophy case. It's not a bunch of conference swag. No, it's blood, sweat, and tears and inconvenience 
for the body of Christ? Will I give up my convenience for your comfort in the gospel? To make sure you are comfortable knowing that you are righteous in Christ. You're forgiven in Christ. You have grace in Christ. See, we can get alone and listen to our podcast and all of those things. But if it never comes back to having compassion on the parents with the crying baby in a worship service. And not just being a selfish jerk. And that's not discipleship. That, that's just you learning more facts about the Bible, not applying the Bible. If it never leads to 3 a.m. waiting room card games where you're with the family waiting for the worst news and you're there. Why? Because you have the word of God that has equipped you to love in that moment. And you want to love them the way Christ has loved you. I know some of you are moving upcoming weeks. Most of us aren't. But the question is the same. Where will you go to church? Because if you're following Jesus, it doesn't matter what city you live in. That's where he's going. 